Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called False Hopes, Bad Dreams, and Reckless Lies, Jeremiah, Yesterday and Today, and is based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, August the 19th, 2007. Across the street from my house, my neighbor's beat-up Pontiac sports a clever bumper sticker. The bumper sticker reads, Don't believe everything you think. That, in a nutshell, was the sober message that God called the prophet Jeremiah to speak to the religious and political leaders of his country, their prophets, priests, and the king. The reading for this week from Jeremiah 23 verses 23 to 29, is only a snippet from a long, depressing section which in my Bible is entitled, The Lying Prophets, which reminds me of the comedian Al Franken's book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. Only in this instance, nobody was laughing. To the prophets, priests, and kings of Judah, Jeremiah preached what sounded like an unpatriotic, seditious, and judgmental message. Stop giving our people reckless lies and false hopes. Stop betraying them with your delusional messages of comfort and hope. National disaster is just around the corner. With biting irony and bitter sarcasm, Jeremiah compared the words of Judah's false prophets to the pagan predictors of Baal. Their worship was worse than Samaria, their actions more evil than Sodom. He ridiculed their pseudo-prophecies as so-called false hopes and reckless lies. Like a false dream, he said, they assured Judah that everything was fine when in fact they were about to awaken to a nightmare of national destruction. To speak so bluntly, wrote Jeremiah, made his heart break and his bones tremble. For his 23 years of faithfulness to God's call, Jeremiah got what you might expect. He was beaten, received death threats, imprisoned, thrown down a well, and derided as an unpatriotic crank and traitor. Almost no one listened to him, but in the end, history proved him right. In 586 B.C., Babylon ravaged Judah and Jerusalem, just like Jeremiah had warned, and, despite all the reckless lies and false comforts of the lying prophets and priests, the gist of the false prophet's message was self-aggrandizement in denial. We read in Jeremiah 23:17, "You will have peace, no harm will come to you." Or in modern parlance we might say, "Our nation is an exceptional people, special to God and his purposes. He'll protect us." For Jeremiah, this was a distinctly political problem of national proportions. The very survival of Israel was at stake. Anyone from any nation might legitimately try to draw parallels to their own nation today and to expose the comforting but reckless lies told by the leaders to lull its citizens. 
But don't expect people to thank you if you do that. You can just as easily move from the overtly political to the deeply personal. Every once in a while, I think about our many modern-day myths, truisms, and slogans propagated by both the church and culture at large that play on my own selfishness. Jeremiah called these reckless lies and false hopes. He compared them to bad dreams. The French sociologist Jacques Ellul called them commonplaces. In other words, deeply entrenched beliefs that only a curmudgeon would question, but which unhappily also are false. Like junk food, they taste great, but in the end, they'll kill you. Here's a dozen contemporary false hopes, bad dreams, and reckless lies that I love to love. They're just mine, and I confess that it's only a partial list. You can try to identify today's false prophecies that hold a special attraction to you, but here are a dozen of my own. I deserve perfect health and the medicine to get me there, especially given how hard I work out. I'm entitled to all the passionate sex that the tabloids describe and the movies depict. There's a solution to every problem if I pray hard enough. I'd be happier in a bigger house in a better location, or in a smaller house with less upkeep. I'd be happier in a newer house with fewer repairs, or in an older house with more charm. I wouldn't be such a mess if not for my family of origin. I'd find more fulfillment in a different job. My kids deserve straight teeth, the best universities, challenging jobs, financial success, model marriages, and they better make me proud too. Wired Magazine assures me of the beneficence and omnipotence of technology. From the prayer of Jabez, I expect, quote, a front row seat in a life of miracles, end quote. I'll give a little more when I get a little more, just a little more, enough to be secure. And finally, fill in the blank on sports, leisure, vacations, wealth, the boss, your spouse, politics, in-laws, and on and on. These reckless lies and false prophecies epitomize St. Augustine's definition of sin as, quote, the heart curved in on itself, end quote. The gospel reading for this week from Luke chapter 12 belies these false prophecies. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? asked Jesus. No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. So too from the epistle for this week. Hebrews chapter 11, 29 to 12, 2 is just the medicine I need to combat the sickness that Jeremiah diagnosed. Normally, I read Hebrews chapter 11 as a sort of hall of fame. It's true, it does speak of saints who did exploits for God. 
quote, conquering kingdoms, shutting the mouths of lions, and quenching the fury of flames, end quote. But this week, when I read more closely and more carefully, I discovered a different category of saints. Alongside these mighty saints who, quote, gained what was promised, end quote, 1133, there were also many saints we read in chapter 11, verses 13 and 39, quote, who did not receive what had been promised, end quote. Here's how Hebrews describes the saints who did not receive what was promised. We read in chapter 11, 35 to 39, Others were tortured, some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. These saints would have known what Jeremiah meant about false hopes and reckless lies. They would not have equated or confused their personal fortune with their Christian faith. Nor is this description an exaggeration. It might easily describe the life of a Christian under emperors like Nero or Diocletian, or for that matter, Stalin or Mao. I've grown more circumspect in my journey with Jesus as I battled the sweet dreams and reckless lies of today's false prophets. I resonate when Kathleen Norris laments how little we like being told that conversion is a lifelong process, and not something I can cross off my to-do list next week, next month, or even next year. Norris reminds me of Irina, one of my students at Moscow State University, who once remarked in class, You Americans make being a Christian sound so simple. For us Russians, it's more difficult. I think we want to live Christianly somewhere between the two bins. If you surf your cable television, you'll find the televangelist Benny Hinn, who peddles the false hopes of name it and claim it. That is, all the many promises and blessings are yours for the asking, here and now, just pray in faith. The lectionary text from Hebrews reminds us that the already of God's coming kingdom is, for now, tempered by the not yet. At the opposite extreme, I recently read Walter Isaacson's biography of Ben Franklin. This Ben was some sort of deist. He had a firm belief in a benevolent deity, but his God was an absentee landlord who didn't stoop to dirty himself in the petty affairs of everyday life. Don't expect Ben Franklin's God to intervene in your life or to answer any prayers. I think Jeremiah would say, don't listen to Benny Hinn and don't listen to Ben Franklin. Rather, he would say that God's word comes to both of them like fire to straw or a sledgehammer to a rock. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. 
Instead, whether God calls you to endure floggings or suffer torture, to tame lions or quench flames, pray to be, quote, commended for your faith, end quote, regardless of your circumstances. Hebrews 11, 39. And now for further reflection. Can you identify some reckless lies that are national and political? Number two, what about deeply personal and private false hopes? Number three, what do you think Jesus meant about bringing division and not peace? And finally, contemplate the words of St. Macarius of Egypt from the 5th century. I'm convinced that not even the apostles, although filled with the Holy Spirit, were therefore completely free from anxiety. Contrary to the stupid view expressed by some, the advent of grace does not mean the immediate deliverance from anxiety. For books this week, I review Noam Chomsky, Failed States, The Abuse of Power and the Assault on Democracy, New York, Metropolitan Books, 2006, 311 pages. What is a failed state? A failed state, according to the MIT linguist and political dissident Noam Chomsky, is a state that doesn't protect its citizens. A rogue or outlaw state flaunts the core principles of international law and places itself above and beyond those laws. It plays by a double standard and changes the rules of the game when that serves its own interests. And how should we describe a country's leader who orders a massive bombing campaign with the chilling words, quote, anything that flies on anything that moves, end quote. That, says Chomsky, is a monstrous war crime and virtual genocide, and it doesn't matter if the directive came from Richard Nixon to Henry Kissinger, which it did. And so, as he has said in many other places, in this book Chomsky argues that America is the worst failed rogue terrorist state. Chomsky is openly subversive, unapologetically strident, and unnecessarily sarcastic. Don't expect any nuance here. He gives scant attention to the responsibilities of other state actors that fail to provide much at all for their citizens, or to jihadists who behead people. He ignores the genuinely good and good faith aspects of American policy, however occasional and however compromised. In his view, virtually all public discourse is little more than a propaganda charade. This long, dense, heavily quoted paragraphs make the reader work hard. And yet, yet reading this book might make you a better citizen. It's sobering to read a 300-page Jeremiad that details America's flagrant disregard for the International Red Cross and the Geneva Conventions, the latter of which our Attorney General wanted to rescind as quote-unquote quaint. 
Our insistence that we alone have the right to nuclear proliferation because our motives are, no are noble. Prisoner tortures that by normal standards constitute crimes against humanity. Overwhelming military force whose main purpose is uninhibited economic exploitation anywhere and everywhere in the world. Monster tyrants we have supported and vulnerable states we've ignored. Democracy we've overthrown, the weaponization of space, and rationalizing it all a sanctimonious civic rhetoric. It's bizarre that we exempt ourselves from principles of universality and then wonder why other nations resent us, or why they might choose to act like we do, for example, in so-called anticipatory self-defense, only in this case against us. Is this extreme? Yes. But in Chomsky, it's not partisan. He's critical of the entire system, and not merely of Bush. And those who question his conclusions can wade through his 500 footnotes that document his claims. There's one glimmer of hope here. Chomsky argues that there exists a very deep divide between the public opinions of normal citizens and the public policies of America's rogue state. Noam Chomsky failed states the abuse of power and the assault on democracy. For film this week, I review Word Wars from the year 2004. Unlike its linguistic cousins about the national spelling bee, Spellbound, and the other film about crossword puzzles, Wordplay, this documentary film never rises to the level of the mighty social phenomenon that it describes, the game of Scrabble. My mother played Scrabble every day during her lunch hour. Her battered board game was the one memento from her estate that I really treasured. This film tries to build anticipation by tracking the nine months leading up to the 2002 U.S. National Championship in San Diego, where 700 Scrabblers compete for a first prize of $25,000. The narrative follows four word warriors who are not only uninteresting, but unlikable. Matt Graham, ranked number seven in the country. Joel Sherman, number 13. Marlon Hill, ranked number 29. And Joe Eddy, who was ranked number one. Except for Eddy, none of these guys has anything like a normal life or job. They play Scrabble all day and are penniless. Hill sports dreadlocks and a foul mouth. Sherman is a college dropout obsessed by his acid reflux. Graham uses brain boosters. The film could have done more with average players like neighbors who play outside in New York City's Washington Square, the Scrabble Club at an elementary school, or people like my mom. Unfortunately, this is a mediocre film about a great game. Word Wars, from the year 2004. And finally for this week, for poetry, we've posted a poem by G.K. Chesterton, 
Chesterton lived from 1874 to 1936. The title of the poem is A Prayer in Darkness. This much, O heaven, if I should brood or rave, pity me not, but let the world be fed. Yea, in my madness, if I strike me dead, heed you the grass that grows upon my grave. If I dare snarl between this sun and sod, whimper and clamor, give me grace to own, in sun and rain and fruit in season shown, the shining silence of the scorn of God. Thank God the stars are set beyond my power. If I must travail in a night of wrath, thank God my tears will never vex a moth, nor any curse of mine cut down a flower. Men say the sun was darkened, yet I had thought it beat brightly, even on Calvary. And he that hung upon the torturing tree heard all the cricket singing and was glad. A Prayer in Darkness by G.K. Chesterton Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, August the 19th, 2007. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.